Acts 21 and verse number 27. This is, uh, this is a long narrative that we started last week. Uh, Paul took a vow. He took a Nazarite vow, and he did it to protect uh, two things, the gospel, or excuse me, or the truth, and then he did it to protect the unity of the church uh, for, the, for the gospel and for others. And so he is uh, in, so when we come to verse 27, we see that Paul is uh, about a week, this is about a week after this uh, verse 26, and there is, there is a, a trouble that's going to come from this. And it was well-intentioned, but because of Paul, this vow put Paul in the temple, and this is where, uh, this is where the trouble is going to come. Not sure that this was not the right thing for him to do, but the, the, uh, the, the opponents of the gospel definitely uh, use this uh, to uh, basically change the rest of Paul's life. Uh, the, uh, history, history and, and commentaries would say that uh, there's about 10 more years left in Paul's life, but it's definitely going to be a very different 10 years than the rest of his, uh, than the first part of his ministry. Uh, Paul is about to lose his freedom, and uh, most would say that he won't ever regain it uh, from from this point on. I do want to say that I I try to see it if I pull myself out of the Christian perspective and I look at the Jews' perspective. Uh, these people are very uh, defensive of their culture and their religion, and I can't say that I blame them on the one side for. Uh, standing up for what they believe in and saying, "Hey, you're messing with our, with what we believe." I mean, this is this is what we believe the Bible teaches, and 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 they were they were they were incorrect in what they believed the Bible taught, but they said, "Hey, we don't like this." Uh, but uh, Paul uh, definitely is going to pay the price for uh, his uh, his involvement in the gospel and the ministry, and it kind of reminds me of when. Uh, when Ananias uh, was uh, arguing with, with God about going to see, see Saul, who had been recently supposedly converted, and nobody was really sure whether or not they should take, take his word that he really got it or if this was a trick to catch more Christians. And, and God said uh, to him, uh, I'm going to show him how he's going to have to suffer. And he's, 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 got a, he's got a special uh, road ahead of him, and, and uh, this is just a part of it. Uh, many more adventures to come for Paul in just a few chapters to go. But uh, this is where uh, big big changes are going to come. So let's read a little bit. Verse 27 is where I will begin in Acts 21. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted his holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another, among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people, 
For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him. And as Paul was, lit, was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, And shall speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness, four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I'm a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and we won't we'll stop there for a second, but interesting where they started the new chapter in the middle of a sentence. But uh, we're, we're going to go into verse number uh, 23, uh, which is uh, the end of Paul's speech. We'll come to that in just a moment. So as I said, this, this takes place about a week after verse 26, when Paul agrees to take the vow. And this, uh, maybe it was the last week of the vow or, or whatever it may have been, but Paul is completing this Nazarite vow. And as he's going into the temple, uh, some Jews from Ephesus, remember this is a big holiday, this is a big time for people to be, uh, to be uh, to, to coming to Jerusalem. And so these Ephesian Jews uh, have a reason to be there. And, and no doubt the city is just bustling with all sorts of people. Uh, they recognize Paul. And they, they know him from what he had done uh, in, in uh, Ephesus. I, I think that they were, um, I believe that these, uh, that these um, it says in verse number 27 that they were from Asia. Uh, but then later on it says in, in verse number 29 that they recognized uh, Trophimus, who was an Ephesian. So I believe that they were Ephesian Jews. Maybe I disagree there. Uh, but uh, they see him, and they already knew who Paul was. They already disagreed with his doctrine, to put it mildly. If they were the Ephesian Jews, remember how they treated him in Ephesus. And remember uh, how uh, many did not welcome him. And uh, Paul does not have a good reputation among many Jews in many cities, even though the church has spread to those cities. And think about how Paul uh, comes to a city, he makes an impact for Christ, he leaves that city, but his influence, his impact, is still hurt. And these Jews who are protective of their culture, their religion, disagree with Paul big time. But even after Paul is gone physically, he still remains. He's still on the lips of people as they're like, remember what Paul taught us. And I'm sick of hearing about Paul. And so uh, they're, they're, they're none too happy with him. Well, they show up to Jerusalem, and who do we find? We see Paul. We see Paul in the temple. And we see Paul uh, kind of, acting like a Jew again. Well, from what they think that he taught, remember the rumors that, that went around about what Paul taught? Well, what they think that Paul taught are now conflicting with what they're seeing Paul do. And so they're seeing, uh, in their minds, they're seeing Paul's uh, being a hypocrite, but they're also seeing Paul uh, profane the temple. To profane uh, just means to just make it a not, of, not of any value, not of uh, to... to to uh, hold it in, in low esteem. And so he's basically making a mockery of their culture and of what they believe uh, is the true religion, the worship of the true God. Uh, and so uh, they, uh, they, they start, a, a, they start a, a disturbance, if you want to call it that, in verse number 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere. And, he give, and they give three things here. Now, uh, whether or not they were intentionally lying, if they're the ones who started these rumors, or if they're the ones who have heard the rumors and they are uh, just kind of perpetuating them. But he says three things there. Paul is against the people. 
basically saying Paul is anti-Semitic. He is uh, he's a Jew who doesn't like Jews. He's against the he's against Israel. Now to be against Israel is to be against God's chosen people. He's an enemy of of the state, if you will. And uh, we need to we need to stop this guy. Number two, they say he's against the law. By saying he's against the law, meaning he's against God's law. He's against the Old Testament uh, laws and sacrifices. Uh, and then number three, he is against this place concerning the temple. To be against Jews is to really be against God. And uh, remember when God says, uh, whom, you bless, um, uh, whom thou blessest, is, uh, he told Abraham, whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Basically saying, I'm on God's team, or I'm on Israel's team, and if you're against them, you're against me, and if you're with them, you're with me. And so they're saying he's against us, which is to say he's against our God, which is to say also then he is, he is against the temple, because the temple is where God uh, met with his people. And so... Uh, this is this is uh, what their their their, uh, their the charges that they're going to bring against him. To to compound that or to uh, to emphasize these three accusations, uh, they they show the fact that Paul, or they don't show because they can't prove it, because verse number twenty nine says that they assumed these things um, that, that they had seen Paul earlier with a man named Trophimus who was an Ephesian. Now they had to know who Trophimus was because I don't think that you can walk down the street and identify Jews versus Gentiles uh, unless they have the uh, the yarmulke or they have all those, you know, the, the things. Today, you could probably go to New York City and identify a Jew. But if you were to go to Israel and walk around, maybe you could, I don't know. Uh, but I don't know if they, if with knowing that he was, knowing that he was a, a Greek, they would be able to say, yeah, he doesn't belong. But what they, what they assumed was that since they had seen Trophimus with Paul uh, earlier, they assumed then that Paul brought Trophimus into the temple. If you remember your 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 diorama or your your understanding of the Jewish temple, there were sections that uh, limited certain people. So there was uh, the Gentile court where the Gentiles proselytes could only go that far. You could not go any further if you were not a Jew. Then there was a court of the women, and and, and women could only go that far. And then there was and then there was a further in. Uh, and by bringing Trophimus in, they were saying they would have found him further than Gentiles were allowed to go, uh, thus uh, violating their religion uh, and violating the temple, uh, violating the, 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 the God, basically violating God's law by assuming these things. Now, we don't know if that was actually the case. I don't think that Paul would have brought Trophimus in. Now, would it have been wrong in God's eyes to bring Trophimus in there? No, because remember when Jesus was crucified, the temple veil was torn in two, and the presence of God moved from the temple and into the into the body of the belief. And but in the culture of the Jews, uh, if Paul's the one we really get most of our teaching about not laying a stumbling block in people's way, I don't think Paul would have did this. But they assumed these things that Paul would have done this and uh, defiled the temple, profaning it. Uh, the writer, the historian, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus says that here a perceived slight against the ancestral customs could quickly generate a riot that required suppression by military authorities, and that's exactly what we see here. Word spreads quickly that that someone is profaning the temple, that someone is profaning Israel's God, and a great crowd gathers. These are religiously zealous people who are here for religious reasons, and they hear that uh, that someone is trying to uh, mess, with, uh, mess with Israel, mess with uh, their, their religion. And so Paul is arrested, and he's dragged from the temple, they lock the doors, and they start beating him. They're trying to kill him 
uh, we, for his, these crimes against God. Well, uh, verse number 31, as, that, uh, as they were, it says there, they went about to kill him. So I don't know if they're, they're stoning him or they're just beating on him or whatever they're doing. They're trying to, they're trying to put this guy out of his, out of his misery. And the, uh, it says here that the chief captain of the band, uh, this would have been a Roman, uh, a Roman commander of the area. And later on in verse 26 of chapter 23, we learn his name is Claudius Lysias. And he is uh, the Roman commander. He would have been a, a, um, a man that would have been uh, in command of between 600 and 1,000 soldiers. So the centurions, uh, the 100, and then the, uh, so he would have been in charge of several centurions. And uh, he was the, the regional or the, air, the commander of the, the Roman authority, if you will, uh, in Jerusalem. I had a picture. I was going to show it to you, and I, and, I, and I put it in a place, and then I didn't tell Rob where it was, so I'm not going to mess with it tonight. But the area where he would have been stationed, what we read here, a castle, was right up against and above the temple area. And so uh, Claudius Lysias would have been in this tower. It was, it was uh, the Tower of Antonia. And it was, it was right up against two. And then it, because it was a tower, it was raised up. And so they could see out over the city, but especially they had a, a perfect bird's eye view of the temple. So when this big commotion is going on, and obviously someone being killed, and a big mob, and, and the noise, and all the chaos, uh, it reaches uh, Claudius Lysias' ears, and he takes uh, several, uh, he takes a lot of soldiers down uh, immediately to uh, to kind of quell this. Not because he's trying to save Paul's life, but because they're, this is this is their job to protect, uh, to uh, kind of keep the order and not let these Jews get out of, get, get, get out of hand. And so, uh, upon the commander's arrival, verse 32 tells us that they stopped beating him. I, I kind of feel like it's, you know how when the teacher left the classroom in school, and you kind of started throwing paper and, and airplanes and spit wads, and then the teacher walks back in, you don't keep doing it. You sit there and you kind of pretend like you weren't a part of it, right? Sitting there being good. And they're standing there like, who, me? And, and uh, Claudius and, and, his, and his men here, they come in, and they arrest Paul themselves, so they take him, they bind him, and then they begin to ask questions, uh, trying to figure out who this guy is and why they're beating him. And uh, when, when they start asking questions, some people say he's one thing, some people say he's another thing, and it's so much chaos. And so they say, you know what, let's get him out of here, and we will interrogate him, we'll question him on our own, and uh, but we need to get him out of here, this is not safe. Even then it said there that uh, verse number uh, 34, as they bring him inside to questioning, verse 35 tells us that the mob uh, continues to shout for his death, and they continue to try to get to him, and the, and they press uh, the the soldiers so hard, so so badly that the soldiers, uh, either due to Paul's injuries that he's already sustained, or and or because of uh, they continue to to try to get to him, uh, they have to carry him inside, uh, inside, and it says here in the castle, but it would have been up up into the tower or the compound, the barracks. Uh, would be all of those things would kind of it's the same it's the same word there. So then we get to verse uh, thirty-seven, and uh, Paul is inside the castle now, or inside the the barracks, the tower, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he asks the 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 commander here, Claudius, he says, "Can I speak to you?" And and the man says, "Well, you can speak Greek because Greek was the universal language, just like English is today. Uh, you go to many countries and and." Uh, they're, they'll speak, you know, many of them will speak English. It's kind of not the universal language, but in that time, Greek was the universal language. And so uh, Paul is a very learned man. He was, he was multilingual. 
and so he could speak the Greek. He could speak uh, Latin, which was what the uh, what the Romans would have spoken. He could speak Hebrew, of course, because he was a Jew. And so he says in Greek to Claudius, he says, can, can I talk to you for a second? And the man's surprised. He's like, you speak Greek? He's surprised because this man had already made an assumption of who he thought Paul was. He thought that he was this man, uh, this Egyptian uh, rebel, uh, and and uh, he thought he was doing him a favor, uh, or he's doing uh, Rome a favor by capturing this uh, this 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 crazy guy here. Uh, this uh, man he assumed was an Egyptian Jew who was a zealot and a leader of a of a group of men. Uh, this word here, I'm looking in verse number. Uh, 38, he says, Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? And that word murderers there uh, doesn't necessarily mean murder. It's actually the only um, the only time that this word in Greek is used and it means assassins or dagger men. And so uh, some say that this is actually the name of this group were the assassins, right? Sounds like a little boy's club. But uh, the, the, the dagger men and he's like, aren't you the leader of these guys? Uh, again, uh, Josephus, I, I, I quoted him earlier. Uh, he also wrote about this same terrorist who had uh, led at this around this time. He had led a group of zealots into Jerusalem to try to overthrow the Roman government, to overthrow um, the leadership and to take uh, leadership themselves. In the attack, they failed. Many were killed. Many were arrested, but the leader and several of his men escaped into the desert. So no doubt here Claudius thinks that this, this Egyptian rebel has tried to re-enter the city and, and maybe gather more followers or whatever, and he's thinking, I've got public enemy number one. This is like FBI top ten list, and I've got him in my custody. This guy's going to jail. Uh, this guy, maybe he's going to be, this guy's going to be killed, whatever, and I'm about to get a huge promotion. This is going to look really good on my professional resume. And Paul's like, no, I'm a Jew. He says, I'm, I'm from, I'm from a Cilicia. I'm a Jew of the, uh, a city in Cilicia. So Cilicia is the big region. I'm, I'm in from Tarsus. We know Saul of Tarsus, and he is very, uh, adamant about that place. It's, it's no mean city. It means it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty sizable city. It's like saying, it's not like saying I'm from, you know, Podunk Hill, uh, North Carolina. Like nobody knows where it is. I'm from New York City or I'm from Los Angeles. It's a, it's a, it's not, it's a respectable city. It's a city that you recognize and that's where I'm from. And, but he says also here, he says, I'm a citizen of that place. And he says, I have a, I have a request. Would you allow me to speak to the people? Uh, and so uh, he allows him to do so. And, uh, Paul give, uh, Paul stands on the stairs now. And he is uh, going to give a speech. He's going to give his testimony. Now he's going to give this uh, very similar testimony about three times over the next several chapters. And I want to point out some things that Paul talks about in this in this uh, in this speech here. So verse number one of chapter twenty-two. He's saying this in the Hebrew tongue. Now again, he s- spoke to Claudius in Greek. Claudius didn't speak Hebrew, and so everything he's about to say. I don't think that any of the Roman soldiers would have understood what he was talking to them about uh, because uh, later on uh, they, they try to interrogate him to try to figure out why he's been, why he is being uh, arrested by the Jews. They beat him, and if they'd understood uh, Hebrew, then they probably would have uh, figured it out for themselves. So Paul begins to speak in Hebrew. 
Now, to speak to them in Hebrew got these people's attention. They're like, oh, he's speaking in Hebrew. Um, let's, let's, let's listen in. So verse number one, men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. When they heard that he spake in Hebrew tongues with them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law and of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which which they were there bound unto Jerusalem to be, for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told of thee, told thee of all things which are appointed for thee uh, to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood, and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see the ju that just one, that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. This is the end of his speech. They, verse 22 says that they, they stopped him right then and there. They were listening very carefully. Can you imagine what was just a few moments ago was utter chaos and confusion. Now you can hear a pin drop and Paul begins to speak and everyone's hanging on his every word until he gets to that point. We're going to stop at verse number um, uh, 23 there. It says, They gave him audience unto this word and then lift up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live. They're calling very similar to uh, just about, uh, I think about 40, 50 years ago or 30, 40 years before that, crucify him, crucify him towards Jesus. Uh, he's not fit to live because he speaks these things. But let's just take a few moments and, and uh, uh, unpack Paul's uh, speech to them here. I, I wouldn't call it a sermon, but uh, definitely him giving a testimony. Uh, so he, he's, he speaks of three things. Number one, he speaks of his culture. He says, I'm a Cilician Jew. I was born in Tarsus, but raised in Jerusalem. And uh, you can see in 2316, uh, he has a, he has a, a nephew uh, who uh, lives in Jerusalem. And so it's, it's likely that he had family that lived in the city. He says, in, um, also, I was educated and trained in the law by Gamaliel. We, we studied Gamaliel already. He was a prominent uh, Pharisee and a, San, and a member of the Sanhedrin. He says, I learned from him. This is, this is Paul's resume. He's like, I went, to the, I went to the MIT. I went to the Harvard, the Yale of, uh, of, of the law. I, I mean, I am, uh, later on, he says, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I'm, later on, he says, I'm a Pharisee. So being a Pharisee doesn't mean 
you can't be a Christian and a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. I believe these things. Uh, and, and, I, and I know the law frontwards and backwards probably better than any of the people that were in that crowd. And he says, I was zealous for the law. I'm not against it. I was, I, before, I was zealous for them, for the law. I was so zealous that I was the one. Many of them, no doubt, knew who he used to be in that he persecuted and arrested and killed, he says, those of the way. We've seen that phrase used to describe Christians a couple of other times. He says, I went after these people. He says, and at one point, I was appointed by the Sanhedrin to travel all the way to Damascus to find Christians or find people of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. I mean, this was a this is a guy who isn't just excited about Jesus or, or excited about religion. This guy is willing to go all the way. He's doing a mission trip, if you will. But he's not going to, to save people. He's going to arrest people. And the opposite of a mission trip. I mean, this guy is willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do. He says, I was zealous for the law. But it was on that trip. And we won't go over his testimony uh, because we've already, we've already covered that. But he does mention in his conversion two important people that he met. And that's the second part of his, of his thing. Verse 6 to 16. As he met Christ who saved him. And he met Ananias who discipled him. And these are two important people in his life. Because, obviously Jesus, because he, he saved him, right? I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you persecute. And he realizes, you died. And you're, you're really alive. And he saw Jesus with his own eyes. And he carried on a conversation with Jesus. And he says, what do you want me to do? He gives his life to Christ, and he's, he converts. But then he meets Ananias. Uh, remember, he was blinded, and he was sitting in the house, and God comes to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go to this house, and I want you to talk to this man named Saul. Uh, he's praying right now, and he goes, oh, no, I've heard about this guy, Saul. Uh, no, I don't think it's a good idea, God. Uh, he's probably tricking you. It's a fake, fake conversion. He, he didn't really mean it. He didn't have his eyes closed when he prayed the prayer and all that stuff. And, and uh, he... And God says, no, he's, he's my chosen servant. I've, I, he's, he's real, okay, uh, and, and he's, he's, he's sincere, and I want you to go to him. And Ananias discipled him. Ananias was the one who later on spoke up for him when he introduced him to the, other, to the others in the church, saying, he's legit. Can you imagine being the one that brought a terrorist into the church? If there was someone out there trying to kill all the Christians and... Cliff brought him into church. Like, Cliff, what are you doing, man? I mean, this guy's trying to kill us. Why are you bringing him to where we are? He's like, no, no, no. He's, he's, he, I vouch for him. That says a lot about, if we accept him, that says a lot about what we think of Cliff. All right, well, Cliff says he's okay, then he'll be okay. And that's who Ananias was. He was a discipler of him. But that, those two people uh, made a big difference in his conversion. We'll come back to that in a second. And then he talks about his calling. Now, the calling here, verses 17 to 21, probably happened about three years later during his first trip to Jerusalem. And uh, he was zealous to reach the Jerusalem Jews. He said, God, I, these people know me here, and they can see the huge change. Very much like the, the maniac of Gadara, who uh, Jesus came and, and, and uh, exercised all the demons out of him. And he says, Jesus, let me go with you. And er- everyone in this area knows who I am. He says, no, I have something else for you to do. Paul says, listen, Jesus, I can stay here and I can do a great work among the Jews here because they know who I used to be. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I've got something else for you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And I'm going to send you, and he's not just solely reaching Gentiles because we know in every city he went to, he started with the Jews first. 
but he had a region, he had a ministry outside of Jerusalem. And we never see Paul completely giving up on wanting to reach Jews anywhere he goes, especially in Jerusalem. But and then that's why he's here in Jerusalem now. But uh, his his calling was there to go. And I kind of again uh, upon hearing this mission to the Gentiles right there, they said, no, 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 You're, you, we don't want anything to do with this guy. Uh, it's not fit that he live. They riot. They're tearing off their clothes, throwing dust in the air, demanding Paul's death. Uh, tearing off their clothes could mean that they were removing their coats. Remember, Paul was the one who held their coats when they stoned Stephen. Maybe they're getting ready to kill this guy and uh, finding rocks on the ground because he's standing up on the steps. And We're going to get to this guy somehow. Later on, there's even a plot. Men take a vow, say, we will not eat until we catch, we kill this guy. Uh, the big, big, big deal. But I want to I want to take these two applications and look here. One of them uh, kind of deals with his testimony, but the other one kind of deals with the circumstances in his life. I want to go through these and then open it up. We have it's it's right now seven o'clock, but if we could take five minutes or so and just and just think about these things. And if you have something that uh, maybe a, a question or or a, uh, a comment, uh, I'd love to hear it. Don't feel like oh I got to be you know keep that to myself or anything, but. Um, uh, so number one here, based on Paul's testimony, I said there were two people who made a difference in his life, and that was Jesus and Ananias. Um, we have to recognize the importance of discipleship in our in in our life, but also we need to recognize the importance of discipleship in other people's lives. Okay, now in your testimony and anybody else who has a genuine testimony, one of these two people is going to be the same in everyone, right? Christ. If you're genuinely converted, you're going to meet Christ. But this, the Ananias is going to be different for all of us. And so for you, and maybe this is, you, you feel like you'd, you'd like to share that, but who is the Ananias for you? Who is the one who really discipled you? And who's the one who took you and, and, and uh, took a chance on you? Maybe you weren't the one that everyone thought, oh, yeah, I can see him coming to Christ. Maybe you're the one that thought, really, him? He, he, he got religion or uh, mentored you or spent time with you, or encouraged, confirmed. Look back in look back in verse number um, verse number oh where is it here oh. verse number fourteen this is Ananias saying this to Paul the God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know His will and see the just one uh, and shouldest hear the voice of His mouth for thou shalt be His witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard Ananias is saying this to him saying. God's got big plans for you. And God's called you to do something. He is confirming what Paul maybe doesn't even see in himself yet. But he says, you know what? God has told me, has shown me that he's got plans for you. Who was someone that did that for you? And we should thank God for those people. And maybe it wasn't one person. But but they're, they're, everyone needs an Ananias in their life. But the other side of that is you need to be that to someone else. Who To whom are you an Ananias? Who are you encouraging? In the faith, who are you confirming uh, God's uh, God's calling in their life? Saying, you know, I see, I see what God is working, and maybe they sense that, or maybe they don't. Uh, I was just talking to one of the men at Bethany Camp a week or so ago, and he said a youth pastor is the one who got him into camp, into camp work, or in, I'm sorry, not into camp, but into uh, ministry work, because a youth pastor came up to him and said, "You ever think about serving serving God full time?" No, I had, but now I guess I am. And he said, ultimately, that 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 conversation was what led him into full time service, uh, full time ministry. But it was a person that God used. Who was the person uh, that that God used? And then number two, uh, Paul's new circumstances in life didn't limit his usefulness to God. Now we're gonna. This is kind of not limited to this little passage here. It's gonna go all over the entire 
uh, the rest of the book here, but uh, this story marks the end of Paul's life. And a new chapter begins. He's no longer a free man. And yet God still has plans for him. And, and I think about the people uh, in our church, people in our area. Uh, we have a lot of folks who are shut in. We have a lot of folks who uh, many of you have, have, have shared with me and said, I cannot do what I used to do. And I think about Paul here. Paul could say the same thing. I can't do what I used to do. Paul is going to be uh, a house arrest for many years. He's not going to be able to travel. And yet he's going to be able to do things that he was never able to do before. And so we can look at these as opportunities or we can look at them as limitations. You know, you have poor health. You have uh, limited funds now. You have limited resources. You have limited uh, whatever. Or you could say, but now I'm in a position I can do this. I couldn't do this before, but now I can do this. And, and, it, and it's in a new perspective. 